Guys, welcome to Better Bachelor. This is Joker with a face for radio and a voice for print. As you can see now that the studio is up and running, I can record a little bit during the day. It's still a little washed out. I, I have to get some curtains and some other things to uh, darken it up here in the uh, in the the bachelor bus here as it is. Um, but I should have that corrected here shortly. I'm I'm looking online for some stuff I can purchase to darken the windows up and make it a little easier to view me. Uh, but in the meantime, we'll we'll continue on because mostly it's what I say and not how pretty I look. Um, that's kind of how this goes. So I have an interesting story here tonight. Uh, you know, the last video I posted was about dating overseas and maybe is a foreign girl your option. And, you know, this is something that I've known that some guys have really good success um, dating, whether it's Southeast Asia or European women. Others say, hey, you know what? No, because you have to stay over there and they're still entitled and it's really bad. Others say if you bring them back, it gets really bad because they become westernized. So, you know, we all have varying opinions on this, but what I find interesting is there's an article here that I wanted to read. It's about being, it's called being single in your thirties isn't bad luck. It's a global phenomenon. And this talks about how women now that they want to, they've kind of been told that, Hey, the the best way through life, the way to be happy is to finish your education, you know, go to college, have your fun, get out there, be wild, be crazy, be, be chaotic. And after you've had your fun, then settle in and get a job and and then worry about dating. And it's all of a sudden, it's putting a lot of women into their 30s and they're starting to stress out because they realize their, their time window for getting married, for finding a good husband, for having kids, for finding happiness is is very, very small. And again, this is, you know, I've said this in my other videos, but I'm always quick to read an article this is written by a Cassie Werber. So again, these are words that are coming from women, coming from journalists that have done interviews. So they're not always my opinion. It's not just what some guy sitting in a bus thinks. It's about opinions from other people. So let's get reading on this and we'll talk a little bit more about it as we go. So uh, Kathy Werber here says, uh, uh, don't worry, you're not alone. More and more people are choosing to wait. And again, being single in your 30s isn't bad luck. This is a little bit of a long read, but I think it's important because it shows you that this is a global phenomenon and it's affecting all women. And as such, I think it's making a lot of women unhappy. Says researcher Nancy Smith Hefner was chatting to university students in the city of Yogi Akarta, Yogi Akarta, Indonesia, when she noticed a trend in a country with near universal marriage where only 2% of women in their late 40s are estimated to have never been married. Young women were saying they wanted to finish their education and embark on fulfilling careers before getting hitched. I think this is an interesting place to do that if 2% of women uh, in their late 40s are, have never been married. Here, it's the trend is rising. We know marriage rates are much lower than, than they have been in the past. Smith Hefner was struck by some problems faced by those following that path. The young women that were trying to fit so much into a small window of opportunity that it sometimes seemed impossible. Having concentrated on graduating and working hard, they ended up wondering how to find a partner with whom to start a family. Sometimes this state went on and on, becoming a source of stress and disappointment. They worried, is it just me? It's not just them. In fact, uh, Yogi Kar Yogi Yogyakarta's young people are experiencing a phenomenon that's been felt across the globe, from Brooklyn to Paris, Rwanda to Japan. It's called waifhood and it might be leading to fundamental change in the way we think about love and partnership. 
Smith Hefner, on a, uh, an associate professor of anthropology at Boston University, has been researching Asian societies for years. But when it came to weighthood, uh, she, she started to see clear parallels between the young Indonesians who were the subject of her research and her young American students back home. They too are facing this problem of how to find a partner. So what we've talked about here is, again, traditionally women would um, finish school, high school, at least here in the United States. And this is going back 50s, 60s, even maybe even the 70s. And then some would go to university, but oftentimes they would delay that. Or if they went to university, it was to maybe do, that's where the liberal arts studies came in because they were like, well, let me go to college and I'll educate myself further, but I'll be around bachelors and men that are going to get good uh, good degrees and they'll have good education. So I can find one that I think is cute and we can get married and settle down. Now women are using that time instead of finding a partner. Let's say uh, traditionally a woman was was in college from 18 to 22 or 23, we'll say. Uh, after she came out, she had her degree, but she'd, she'd maybe be dating somebody. Maybe they'd get married. And at 24 or 25, you're married and starting to have a family. Now what young women are doing is they're going and they're having fun and they're exploring themselves, right? And uh, they're, they're, they're kind of being out there and, and having fun with their various partners. And then when it's over at 22 or 23, they haven't even had a serious relationship yet. Then they go on to their jobs because now they've got student loan to pay back. School pricing from the year 2000 to 2020 in those 20 years, pricing for college has gone up 1,800%. So universities, their prices are, are far exceeding the costs of inflation. As such, all students that graduate college are uh, finding it exceptionally expensive. So they have to, you know, once your college is done, you have to start paying back those loans. So they rush right out into the work field. And if they don't get their dream job, they have to do something. And so now women are becoming 26, 27, 28, 30 before they get a financial hold on, on, their, on their education costs and are settling on their feet a little bit. And then, then they decide it's time to start looking when you're beginning in your 30s. So that means by the time you find a guy, and because the, it's very interesting, but the more people you date, the harder it is to find the right one. And what I mean by that is, if I met a girl and she was nice and she was sweet, and she kind of met 80% of my needs or, or wants or desires in a partner or in a girlfriend, um, I could settle and be happy. But imagine if you had dated 10 women or 20 women, or 50 women, or 100 women, or whether dated or fooled around with or whatever. All of a sudden now you have a lot of choices, and all those choices you'd like in one person, but that doesn't exist. It's impossible. And so both young men, I, I think, and young women that have been dating a lot and that are popular and get a lot of action are finding it very hard to settle on one person. As such, now there's too many choices. It's almost like you've muddied the waters so much you don't know what you're looking for. <clears throat> They'll continue on here. She says, a growing trend. Marcia Inhorn, a professor of anthropology and international affairs at Yale University, convened a conference on the theme of weighthood in September 2018. The umbrella term can refer to delaying other decisions such as moving out of one's parents' house or taking on other trappings of adulthood like home ownership. One of the goal trends is that was really seen throughout many of the papers was the delay in marriage, especially among more educated classes of people, and especially for women, she says. The trend showed up in papers from Jordan, China, uh, U.S., Rwanda, and Guatemala, and the list went on. As of this article's publication date, the papers are yet to be published, but some have been reviewed by courts. 
Dan Singerman, associate professor in the Department of Government at American University, Washington, D.C., coined the term weighthood in 2008 after studying young people in the Middle East. In her conception, the term relates to both genders and its root economic. In many places, such as Egypt, where some of Singerman's research has focused marriage is just too expensive for young people to manage, while having kids outside of that formal union isn't yet socially acceptable. This kind of weighthood can hit young men hard. A youth bulge across large parts of the world, high rates of unemployment, and low wages combined to hold men back from relationships, especially in places where high dowry payments are expected, and therefore from starting families. Um, let's see, let me move forward here just a little bit. So here, uh, here's an interesting graph, and this kind of goes back to what we talk about with hypergamy and women wanting to date and marry up. A woman doesn't want to take a man that is less than her. And, and now you could say the same for men, but let's split that up. A woman, for a woman, what is less than her is a man that is not as, not as attractive as she thinks she is, number one. Number two, his financial prospects aren't as good as hers are. Number three, her, his education is not as good as hers is. Now, women do not want to marry down. And a lot of that has to do with, you know, traditional norms and the fact that a woman wants a man that she feels protected by and that he will handle anything that comes her way and that he's strong and he's supportive of the family. Well, if a woman thinks that she makes more money and that she's more educated than he is, well, that's a no-go because then she feels like she's the one that has to carry the weight of the relationship. So even a woman usually will marry a man that even she's not quite as attracted to, but he has the finances and the intelligence to kind of carry the family through because she can be, or he can be her rock to lean on. Now the way things are changing, women are getting more educated, they're graduating college at a higher rate, and they're making better money. As such, that removes all the men below her in the economic and education field. It doesn't happen always, but it happens enough that it becomes a concern. So what does that leave for women to enjoy and to have? Well, they will go out and, and uh, you know bed a guy that is less successful and less intelligent if he's attractive. She'll have fun with him, but he won't be a long-term prospect. But that's the kind of attractive, um, that's the kind of the emotional and uh, um, I guess you could say physical attraction that she's looking for. So it splits men into two categories. One is the provider and one is the good-looking, fun guy that she wants to be with. She'd like it all in one package, but there aren't enough of those men that exist. So here they continue on. Some of Inhorn's work is focused on why women freeze their eggs. In it, she cited World Bank data, which pointed to how greatly women's educational achievements are surpassing those of men. And we've talked about this on some of my other videos, where men, <clears throat> they don't have as many, men don't have as many scholarships. Men don't have as many scholarships, and they don't. They also don't have um, the same graduation rates. And so, because it's not an end, a, a lot of colleges are very pro-female and very left-leaning, uh, at least in their educations, which is a lot of man-bad type education. We look here at the percent of women that men in higher uh, percent of women than men in higher education from 2012 to 2016. So this isn't even all going back here to 2020, which is even worse. The top one is Sweden at 53%. Now, Sweden's one of the countries that, that expressly talks about how um, they want even across the board and they want more women in men's jobs and they want to try to even the, the, the gender parity in all, all aspects. 
But you can see in education that's not working. So they really need to start pumping the men back up. But of course, if they do that, they're going to be socially called out and they're going to be um, a lot of anger is going to come towards them from the girl power movement. And we know that there is no male power movement in the same way. They're certainly not as vocal. So Sweden, and you can see here on the chart on the screen, Sweden, South Africa, Australia, Brazil, U.S., Italy, U.K., Canada, France, China, all of them across the board, 20% to 50% of women graduating at a higher percent of men. So these women will never want to be with a man that is not as educated or making as much money. So in its own rights, it's really kind of ruining the, the dating dynamic. Things are going to change. So they continue on, uh, but it's not just university education that's making women wait. A recent multi-country study from uh, sub-Saharan Africa found that even when women themselves hadn't received more formal education, they were likely to delay marriage if more educated women around them were doing so. Many of these women aren't waiting until their 30s, but they're pushing back against the traditional model of marrying in their teens, waiting instead to gain some life experience first. And again, this isn't necessarily a bad thing if you're waiting from, say, 18, 19, 16, 15. I don't know what the ages are, but in some countries it can be younger, even as young as 15. If you're waiting till you're full, further adult in your young 20s, I'm fine with that. But it's when you push it too far and all of a sudden you're racing against the clock for children. It says, playing the waiting game. For women, changing behaviors and biological imperatives are leading to a material imbalance, which tends to be felt once they're ready to start a family and can't. This is at least in part because some expectations and behaviors that aren't changing. From relatively conservative, predominantly Muslim Indonesia to uh, nominally liberal America, it's widely accepted norm that women marry men with as much, if not more, education than themselves. Men who will earn equal or higher salaries and be the main household breadwinners. This isn't necessarily right, but it's deeply ingrained, connected with traditional ideals of masculinity, pro, uh, providing for a family and protecting it. They are hard to shake. There's even a term for it, hypergamy. Now, I know I mentioned this a minute ago. I promise you, I have not actually read through this article, uh, but it's interesting to see that that what we know from other articles and what we talk about is also here in this article as well, that hypergamy is a thing. I mean, it is a, a, a dictionary definition um, and so to, to say that it doesn't exist or it's just, um, I don't know, it's just men complaining about something, it's not true. It, it is a thing. Uh, whether by choice, accident, or combination of the two, more and more educated and ambitious women are finding themselves unable to find the mate that they want at the time that they're searching. It's not for lack of trying. The kind of men they are searching for, available to embark on family life, ready to commit, and with smaller levels of education and ambition, simply aren't there in as great numbers as in as great a numbers as are needed. Journalist John Berger, a co-author on Inhorn's egg freezing research, noted the disparity among American women in his book Date Datonomics. In the US population as a whole, for the time when the egg freezing research was carried out, there were seven point four million university educated women aged between thirty and thirty nine, but only six million university educated American men. That's a ratio of five four, the study notes. Right. So you've got <clears throat> you've got basically for every 100 women, you've got I don't know what's that 5-4 uh, ratio would be what 20%. So you've got eight, for every 100 women, you've got 80, 75 or 80% of men that they want. 
And that's just talking education and income. That's not factoring in. He's tall. He's good looking. He's got a full head of hair. All the other things that, that women are looking for as well. And that's where we talk about the, the shortages of men for women and women feeling they have to settle to get married, which is true. I mean, but you, you're not settling for a bad man. You're settling for something less than what your expectations think it should be. That's just mathematics. That's how it has to work. The other thing they have working against them is that young men, especially if they are attractive, if they are successful, if they are tall or handsome or anything else that women are looking for, these young men get, or even middle-aged men, get a lot of attention from women, especially if they're good looking and tall, they're going to get attention. As such, that man, man may be delaying marriage and may not decide to settle down because he's got a plethora of beautiful women that are all giving him attention. And if, if he knows that it's a bad deal to get married because he may lose half his income if they get divorced and he knows the divorce statistics, he may choose to stay single. And so he's out of the market. And so now all the good looking or many of the good looking guys or the ones that are physically desirable to a woman are also gone. And so what this is doing is leaving a very large hole in the dating market and marriage market for women. And as men, there's a lot of us that, you know, we aren't up to the high standards that women want. So it leaves a lot of men unavailable to get married. And so it's making a very uh, odd and interesting breakdown in marriage and long-term dating. They continue on to wait or not to wait. What are the women doing in the face of the disparity? Many are taking what action they can. In the West, that might be in internet dating. In 2016, the Pew Research Center found that 15% of American adults had used dating apps and meeting online has moved from a niche romantic practice to the mainstream. In a predominantly Muslim country, culture like Indonesia, some are turning to matchmakers or events that offer introductions to potential partners. But again, with these dating apps, though, it's very much visual. It's what does the guy look like? And if he doesn't have a good profile picture or it's not the right angle or he's wearing glasses or uh, maybe it makes him look 10 pounds pudgier than he actually is, it's a very quick flick to the nose column and none of his other qualities are, are being looked at. So that ultimately leads to um, good-looking men being selected and men that are good in other ways being not selected. Now, you could say the same thing for women. In many cases, um, what I noticed when I date and that what I think some of my other guy friends have matched is if they see a woman that is not necessarily gorgeous or beautiful or top 10 or 20%, but they'd look at her and say, I could see myself dating somebody like this maybe. Then they'll read the profile. Then they'll look through other pictures and see, hey, can I tell if, if is she doing one of the high angle things to remove her double chin? Or is she actually a little bit slimmer? Is she athletic? Um, what are her likes and hobbies? Whatever. Guys will dig in a little bit deeper where many women will not. It's just the looks and it's gone. And, and again, this is from society telling them that you only deserve the best. Never settle, never settle, never settle. They say a, a bigger solution to the issue might be a paradigm shift. The academics suggest both women and men may have to start thinking truly differently about those gender roles and what they want from a marriage. One obvious solution for women, men, and those societies around them, including influential figures like parents, to accept the idea of women becoming the major breadwinner for families, Smith Hefner said. Such a shift could include women marrying men who are younger than themselves or men who have less formal education. In order for that to work, societies would need to get over their prejudices. But of course, there are other problems than social uh, judgment. People pair off for a vast number of reasons, and it's notoriously difficult to change who one is attracted to simply by effort of will. 
And and we know this from women. What's interesting is women will say, um, you know, love me because I'm I'm big and I'm bold and I'm beautiful and and love me and accept me even though I'm a hundred pounds overweight or I'm this or that. And men, it's in men's and same thing for women, especially when it comes to weight. We're naturally designed. And they've and and psychiatrists psychiatrists and psychologists have talked about this, where there is something in the human being that naturally assesses the situation. The reason why we like tan women more than extremely pale women is because very pale women can look sickly, and this is not an opinion. It it's actually proven that it's one of our responses to knowing when somebody's sick from hundreds and hundreds and thousands and thousands of years ago. That that way we could tell, hey, this person is is not so healthy or healthier. It's the same way a brunette with very dark hair with very pale skin. Now, yes, there's goth girls, but it gives them an, a naturally unhealthy look. Where women with blonde hair and tan skin, uh, they seem to look. And same thing with men. I'm, uh, but I'm using women as an example. But same thing with men. They appear very healthy. That's why people are attracted to blondes with a little bit tanner skin. Um, so there are things in our biology that tells us, hey, this may be healthy and this may not be healthy. Same thing when you look at women that are exceptionally thin um, versus women that have a larger chest and wider hips is because in our our lizard brain and our history, we can look at that and say, well, I know wider hips. And it's not something that's in the forefront. It's something, and I don't know what it is uh, exactly, but wider hips and a larger chest means easier feeding for, for children and easier birth for children. It may not be true necessarily um, to, to modern with modern science, but there's still something there that makes us attracted to them. Same thing with women that like a V-shape in a man, which is wide shoulders and a very narrow waist um, and, and tall. It gives them the illusion that they may be stronger and they can easily better protect the family may not be the case today because someone can easily pull out, you know, a weapon or something else and quickly reverse that trend, but it's still in a, kind of in our DNA. So because of this, um, I don't think it'll ever become a point where men will look at a heavyset woman, woman or woman will look at a, a heavyset man and say, I'm attracted to that physicality. Um, so to get around the finance part, I think will be a lot easier, but it doesn't mean that a woman's going to look at an, uh, uh, an overweight a bald man and say, well, I'm attracted to him because social norms tell me it's okay. I don't think that's ever going to be the case. And the reverse is true as well. And as such, those are never going to go away. So I think we're going to have a long road when it comes to this. More than likely, um, I think what's going to happen is the attractive people are still going to get all the attention. And the ones that have finances and things that are going well for them may end up not having a long-term relationship. The other thing that also needs to change is marriage. If if when a, a couple divorces, if the woman still gets the majority of the custody of the kids and the man still has to pay the majority of the child support, but she becomes the breadwinner and she becomes the, the main financial income of the family, that's going to have to flip-flop as well. And so women are going to have to start paying more child support and men are going to have to start getting custody more. Until that happens, men get the short end of the stick financially. Um, both from the job, from the education department, but also when the the marriage dissolves and men are still being penalized to a woman that's doing better than they are. So um, let's continue on here. So it says, um, 
Let me, uh, okay, more common then is weighthood, a lingering liminal state in which women and sometimes men put the next stage of their lives on hold because they're unable to find a partner they want or are held back by financial imperatives. Formal marriage isn't the only structure in which to have a family, and people are certainly um, experimenting with other ways to progress to the next stage of life, including not having children or having and raising them in less traditional contexts. But many want, if not marriage, then at least a very secure, very committed, monogamous, reproductive partnership before they bring children into the world, Inhorn says. Until that notion changes and until people feel more secure being single parents, I think that this issue is going to be a global issue. Yeah, but the thing is, it says, but many want, if not marriage, at least a very secure, very committed, monogamous, reproductive partnership. Well, that's what many men want. Um, and I think there are some women out there that want it as well. But then why are they doing all the bad actions of going out and having way too many partners in college, waiting way too long to meet the right person, and then when they get a little bit later and aren't able to meet the right person, they don't look back and say, man, I should have done something different. They blame everyone else. Until that changes, until our actions um, as a society with the casual hookup culture changes, women are out having their fun, they're making their money, and they can have kids out of wedlock, and there are no penalties for doing such. And men, they can continue to um, have the hookup culture and have fun, or go their own way and not date at all, and just save their money for their own for their own whims. And that way, they never get trapped into having having to pay for child support or uh, or alimony. Guys, I'll leave it there. Um, if you'd like to support my work, like, comment, and share. That's always the best way you can support me, and I'd really appreciate it if you checked out my other videos as well. None of it is time-sensitive. And as always, if you'd like, I have, do have Patreon, Subscribestar, and of course my PayPal below um, to, to receive direct financial help. Guys, I appreciate everything you do for me. This is Better Bachelor. I'm Joker. And remember, until society changes, the best option for men seems to be to just stay single. Thank you.